everyone. What is going on? I hope everyone is doing well. We are recording this well far ahead of time today. Uh, Lucas, it is the 28th of February. This episode's going to release on the 24th of March, so almost a full month ahead. So pretty pretty out of date, but some exciting yeah. things have happened. We got you a PS5. And we're going to be starting to play Elden Ring soon, which I'm very excited about. Um, mostly just excited because it's my first From Software game, so it's like exciting and nervous. So I'm really curious to see how we're going to fare in, uh, yeah. in Elden Ring. It's going to be tough, um, but I'm I'm really looking forward to the challenge. Um, absolutely, I got an interesting factoid for you here. Oh, uh, exactly two years ago, you and the boys were helping me move out of Las Vegas back to California. No shit. Exactly yeah. two years ago today? Exactly two years ago. I was uh, I moved Leap Day 2020, uh, right before the pandemic kicked in. So uh, that was two years ago, pretty much today. I think we were partying this time of night, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just drinking, and then kind of moving uh, my furniture, everything out of my place, uh, mildly hungover. So that was a, that was a good little memory uh, that came up today. That all sounds um, about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that me, you, and the boys were probably doing in my Vegas apartment was um, playing board games, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, typically, when me and Matt get together with some friends of ours, uh, the board games always come out, and they get we get pretty rowdy. Uh, we just played board games this past weekend, actually at my birthday. Even um, we played a drinking board game called Biggest Loser. Right? That's that was the name of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a fun one, um, and I decided to do a little bit of research on it. Went down the rabbit hole, and turns out board games are a lot older than I realized. Matt, are you ready for Lucas's newest lecture series? This time, I, I love <laughs> the lecture series. It's, 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 it's yeah. A late, it, yeah, we're doing the lecture series. Uh, newest edition on board games. Are you ready? Bro, hook, line, and sinker. Talk to me, daddy. <laughs> now, uh, one one thing that I find really interesting, I know you agree with me on this one, is um, board games compared to other forms um, of games or media in general, um, the thing that distinguishes them is really the communal aspect. Um, board games pretty much always demand a second person to be there or a, a, you know preferably a community of people to really come together. Um, you know, you and I might read a book, we might watch a movie, we might listen to music. All those things don't necessarily demand another human being to be next to you, you know. And lately I've been having this thought, you know, I've been been playing a lot of Magic the Gathering again online on Magic Gathering Arena. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel is out, a lot of people are playing Yu-Gi-Oh! online. And I realized the thing that I really love about Magic, or I've always really loved about Magic, and Yu-Gi-Oh! for that matter, is the fact that I was playing it with people who I knew. Right. You'd sit down at the table. You kind of look them in the eyes when you played that trap card um, (laughs) or flip flip that man in your bug over. And it was always like it was a different sort of interaction. Right. That only tabletop games. It's um, like a very communal thing. Right. It's almost ritualistic in a way. Yes. Yes, exactly. And it turns out the human beings have been playing board games together communally. Um, for thousands and thousands of years. And uh, everything that we're feeling when we're sitting down at the table, whether that's the hype, the anger, the frustration, or the glory of the tabletop board game stems from a long history of human beings. Would you like to hear more? 
press X to doubt. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. So. Have you not played the LA Noir? No, no, I get, I get it. I just, you, you doubt, never mind. Um, <laughs> some of the earliest known board game evidence actually comes out of Turkey. Um, they've been excavating a site uh, in Turkey for many years now, uh, and I'm not going to do well on the name of the site, Basur Hoyuk. Um, in 2013, they found what appeared to be triangular sided, triangular four-sided dice and small circular totems, which appear to be game pieces. Uh, they found 49 small pieces of stone, elaborately sculpted in different shapes, painted green, red, blue, black, and white. Some depict pigs, dogs, uh, pyramids, other features round and bullet-shaped. Uh, they also found dice as well as uh, three circular to tokens made of white shell topped with a black round stone. Uh, these stones are these stone pieces are therefore believed to be a set of gaming pieces and confirming that board games most likely originated in the Fertile Crescent in the regions around Egypt more than 5,000 years ago. Uh, so goes back pretty far uh 3000 bc at the very least uh some of the earliest evidence there uh but yeah uh it's pretty interesting that uh they had some four-sided triangular dice back then um they were playing some really interesting games and uh, i'm going to go into a few of those interesting games but matt what do you think about that do you think you would have been playing some board games back in ancient times uh, I, I feel like I'm going to say yes, because I mean, what else are you going to do back then? All right. You, you, you probably didn't even know how to read. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, right. Well, there was cuneiform, I believe there was like mm -hmm. some written languages of some kind and there was like stories around a campfire, but, but hey, I didn't know how to read. Oh, you wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah, just, cause I would have been a peasant. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Gather. Uh, <laughs> that's right. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's so fascinating to think that you know, these things go back so far. And uh, I think maybe, I don't know where it comes from, but when we think about ourselves from ancient times, I mean, obviously technology wise, we were primitive, but I think we also will associate our minds as being primitive as well, where that's obviously not the case. So like you can just look at some of these, you know, amazing countries that were built back then and like all these crazy architecture, pyramids. these pyramids, these fully fledgling societies, obviously the technology takes a while to catch up, but they're totally, you know, capable of playing like intricate, whether it's a card game or a board game or anything of that matter. Yeah, absolutely. And creating um, them for that matter as well. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, evolving them, mastering them, writing about them and really like basically creating early theory about some yeah. of these things. Um, I'll bring up another example here. This one kind of blew my mind. Um, in ancient Mesopotamia, they would play um, the Royal Game of Ur. Um, there's actually a very interesting video done by the British Museum um, where they actually play a game with the old rule set. Uh, the game is over 4,500 years old um, and some boards have been discovered um, dating all the way back to uh, 3000 BC. Um, and it's a race game uh, not unlike shoots and ladders or, you know, um, what's another kind of famous race game we got? Sorry, you know, um, but it has a surprising amount of amount of depth. And there's a game or there's a video by the British Museum um, where Irving Finkel, who actually discovered and translated um, a thousands year old tablet, a tablet that was dating all the way back to 177 BC, uh, written by a Babylonian scribe. Irving Finkel of the British Museum 
uh, curator over there actually translated the rule set that was actually codified back then and play there's a video of him playing the game um and it's like surprisingly complex it's really really awesome um if you look up an, a royal game of ur board um you may be looking it up right now matt it's like kind of this cross like board um it's kind of you know one it's basically got two rows but then there's like kind of an alleyway where there's only one row and the goal is basically to move your pieces from one side of the board to the other while like making strategic decisions over whether to place your pieces on the back or on the like adventure pieces or add more pieces. And it's just, I wasn't really getting it until like I watched the video a couple times and I was like, oh, this game is like pretty cool. This game would actually be like a very, one of those games like a chess or like a go mm -hmm. where it's so simple, but like surprisingly has like a lot of depth to it. And there's even like old examples of these boards being found with like white rocks or white pebbles, circular white pebbles, which they think may be even betting tabs or chips in a way. So mm. they even believe that the Royal Game of Ur was bet on um, back in the day. So uh, pretty old game there as well. I just got to say as well, big shout out to people like Irving that <laughs> will go out of their way to translate a several thousand year old Babylonian tablet. I <laughs> know <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> That's incredible that people like that exist. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. And that video, I highly recommend it. Um, if you just look up, you know, Royal Game of Ur British Museum, you'll find it on YouTube. Irving Finkel is like the the greatest curator of anything I've ever seen. He's just like this older British gentleman, fully bearded, all white, glasses, really long eyebrows. Love him. <laughs> um, and he, you know, translated, literally translated the old rule set for this game, which is awesome. Um, another really old one I want to touch on, uh, Moncala. Uh, Moncala, have you ever played Moncala, Matt? It's one we of the oldest one today, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the, con it's oldest the rocks, continu right? continuously yeah, yeah, yeah. played games today. Yeah. Now Moncala is, um, very old game dating back actually to the seventh century with some evidence, um, of it being played back in ancient Egypt. Um, evidence of the game was actually uncovered in uh, the city of Gadara in an excavated Roman bathhouse where pottery boards and rock cuts were unearthed, which actually were a Moncala board. So within the bath, a Roman bathhouse, they found um, carvings out on the actual like sort of cement or, you know, stone within that bathhouse uh, where people were most likely playing Moncala, which was etched directly into the bathhouse. I mean, hell really yeah, I mean... How, how was he going to spend an afternoon back then? Yeah, you and the you're, boys you're just hang down, out at the bathhouse, play Moncala. Go, go down exactly. to the bathhouse, play some Moncala, get some wine or whatever they drank back then. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's exactly. Sat Saturdays are for Moncala with the boys. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And Moncala is interesting because um, it's still played. I mean, I, pl I played this game growing up. We had a board in my house. I know that. And um, I once played it actually at a friend's house. I thought I was good. Um, shout out to Zulu. I played this at his house when we were growing up, um, back in the Oregon days and his dad just completely destroyed me at Moncala. Just like, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I know this game. We have this at my house. I know how to play this. And he's like, no, you don't know how to play this game. And I was like, no, nah, <laughs> no, nah. you know, you grab a pile of pebbles and you, you drop the pebbles in the thing and you get, and he's like, no, nah, no, nah. let's play <laughs> completely wipe the floor with me. Um, and I'll, I'll always remember that. And it's crazy because it, it dates back so far. It's evolved so many times under so many different names. Um, it's known in uh, as a, with a different name in Ethiopia. 
in Ethiopia, they call it um, Ala Mangula or Gabeta. Um, in southern India, they refer to it as Ali Guli Main or Ali Guli Mane um, or Palagunzi. I'm probably butchering a lot of these words, so I apologize, everybody. Um, they call it Konglak um, in Malaysia. And um, it's it's just known by so many different names. And all, each room has a slightly different variant to it, which is really cool. Um, and in the Western world, or some of you on the North American side, have probably heard it called Kala before. And Kala is even more interesting. Um, it's at, Kala is actually a solved board game. Um, Kala, when played perfectly, will always result in the first person winning every single time. Um, that, oh, that means that it's a solved game. It's actually, um, doesn't have a lot of variation to it, specifically the variation of Ankala, which we call Kala. Uh, so a little bit of interesting factoid there. Um, have you played this one, Matt? Mankala? Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I, I wouldn't be able to play, like, tell you the rules off the top of my head, but I know for a fact I played it a few times growing up. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Now, I will point out a game here that I know you've played. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've beaten it's actually, you at it. It's yes, yes, you have. It's the most popular board game in the world by far. It started in the sixth century, India. Mm -hmm. That game is chess. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, chess came from the sixth century in India. It evolved over time. The game made its way west via the Silk Road over hundreds of years and has had many, many, many variations over time. It actually didn't hit uh, its specific rule set that we know today until uh, it hit Western Europe around the 15th century where it got its current iteration. And the fun thing about chess, it's really been pondered upon for centuries. Um, philosophers and thinkers have used it as an analogy for war, diplomacy, human affairs, problem solving, logic, puzzles. Um, it's an intelligence benchmark. Um, Great chess players are viewed as intelligent people, um, sometimes called geniuses. Uh, it's strange, you know, n not a lot of games really get that accolade, right? You wouldn't say, oh, this guy is, you know, really great at Mancala or something, or Kala, he's a genius. This guy's really good at rock, paper, scissors, he's a genius, you know? Chess kind of really lends itself um, very easily to, to being a genius type of game, right? Um, surprisingly, sim or simple to learn, insanely insanely complicated and full of depth um Matt it's so is, like dignified too right like yeah. at these at these tournaments you see these guys and the girls all you know dressed up in their suits or what have you and it's just it's like a very prestigious game i think that's totally the best way to phrase it totally totally and you know chess is, has had a, a really long history and um i know that we've kind of entered this certain Chess is kind of having a moment again. I think the Queen's Gambit really brought it back um, or really brought some popularity back um, into it. And a lot of these online chess uh, applications or chess.com really bring in a lot of popularity to it. I grew up in Chess Masters, um, at, which is an after school program here in the States that you can do, or at least in California. Um, so I played a little bit of chess growing up, definitely learned the rule set. And I can say that... Um, you know, I admire my own dad saying that, hey, you know, you teach your kids chess. That's a very important thing to teach your kids. Um, so that's why I jumped into it and why I learned it. And I think it's very interesting that um, a game, something that's just a game, right? We talk about games all the time. Mm -hmm. We play games mm -hmm. all the time. We review games on this podcast all the time. Yet there is a game in this world that is seen as some sort of analogous, like one for one with how you'll succeed in the real world. You're a genius at chess. You're going to be a genius in real life. That's the power of games, especially board games uh, in human culture. So 
Big things. Yeah. Now chess is, I love chess. It's such a, and it's really had a resurgence as well recently. Totally. I think in part to the queen's gambit, which was a really popular Netflix show. And I love just how accessible it is as well. There's a great app on the iPhone or Android, I'm assuming as well. Just, you know, the chess.com app is available on your browser as well. And it's just such an accessible way to play the game. And it's such a good thing. Like everyone, not everyone, it, a lot of people know how to play chess, you know, uh, yeah. probably several people, whoever is listening to this podcast knows, know how, knows how to play chess. And it's just a simple, great way to connect. And there's so many layers to it. And it's so beautiful because, you know, it can be played as a sport. It can be played recreationally. It's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, love us some chess on this podcast. Um, okay. Now, moving on, I want to jump ahead a few thousand years here, uh, hundreds of years at the very least, to modern board games and kind of where we are today. Uh, obviously, board games have had a very, very long history with human culture. Um, so many games over time uh, we've lost the rules for, we never really understood, but we kind of see like Roman, we, we see that Romans had dice, right? And they even had like gods of luck and chance that they would pray to, to get, to get good results. And I think it's just interesting that uh, games and games of chance and games in general have really had such a grip on humanity for so long and maybe have even like, you know, informed certain things like you know, cross-pollinization between cultures and certain things and certain beliefs. A lot of times board games really being analogous to or bringing forth what a culture really believes, mm -hmm. you know? Um, in fact, chess as a game started off in India as sort of a analogy for war and an analogy for a specific battle where um, a king was killed and how the king was killed and reenacting how that king was killed via a board. Um, that's what chess originally served as in India, which I think is phenomenal um, or very fascinating. Now, bringing forth uh, the, us all the way to the mid 1800s, in America, the predominant thing pushing us forward, capitalism, right? And what comes along to really get people like, really bring forth the culture of America and really have a grip on American board games uh, for the next hundred years, right? Um, it is the Parker Brothers uh, and their invention of a couple games, uh, one game called Banking, uh, which was designed by George S. Parker in the mid 1800s, uh, designed when he was 16 uh, in 1883. It's a game where you borrow money from the bank and try to generate wealth over time uh, through games of chance. And then another game that came out several years later called Monopoly. Oh. Okay. Now, Monopoly actually has a funny um, beginning story, a funny origin story. It was actually created um, with a lot more counterplay in its original design. And uh, it was meant to be a, a critique of capitalism and how if one player had enough money, they could run away with the game very easily and, and couldn't be stopped. <laughs> um, but of course, the Parker Brothers iteration of the game, which came around a little bit later, um, got rid of a lot of the counterplay and kind of made it like a winner take all, you know, unstoppable lead type of game that we know it as today. Um, so certainly a lot of these games have have informed a lot of American culture. Uh, my dad, when I talked talk to him about board games today, he still thinks Monopoly is like the greatest game because he's <laughs> like, oh, well, the greatest, most popular game of all time is Monopoly. And I'm like, eh, well, there's a lot of better games that have come out since then. Um, Parker Brothers created things like Sorry, Clue, 
um ouija boards oh they did clue too they did clue oh, they made um, ouija boards? that's so funny yeah so ouija boards it's funny ouija boards we see as like kind of communicating with the spirits and the devil it's just a brand name it's just a board you can you could have bought from the store it's become you know a sort of a seance type of artifact you use to mm -hmm. communicate with spirits but i mean you could just buy it at the store <laughs> it was published by parker brothers same company that makes monopoly which i find super super interesting um so that that's that's sort of like where sort of the beginnings of the modern board game economy come from is you know i'm not a big fan of monopoly personally but you got to give it credit for what it's done for the american audience and for the western audience is really get them prepared for the better games that are going to come down the line are you a big fan of Monopoly, Matt? Honestly, I've hardly... I, I've played it, but like very little. <laughs> Probably because it wasn't that fun when you played it. What about Sorry? Yeah. Played some Sorry. Played a lot of Clue. I love Clue. Clue's like the yeah. best of the list that I, I brought up here. I, I actually really, really like Clue. Yeah. Um, I don't think Clue gets enough credit as a game, just in general. I think more... They needed... I got to play more like investigation, like mystery games, because I really don't get to play enough. Oh, man, I forget what it is, but oh, we didn't have to look this up. There's a board game where it's like a, like it's like updated weekly. It's almost like an AR game, too, where like you're solving mysteries and stuff. Is that the Nolan uh, Bushnell one? The one that you play with your Amazon Echo? there's that and there's another one as well i forget what it's called but okay i'll have to I'll have to look into it yeah. let's 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 look that up uh so the that brings us to the uh the euro game or the german style board game which has become very very popular with worldwide audiences in the recent years um the euro game or the german style board game is actually a category of board game um that tends to be centered more around indirect player interaction and abstract physical components. So think Settlers of Catan as a prime, prime, prime example. Um, and I haven't personally played it, but uh, Ticket to Ride is in this category as well. That's another very popular board game. Um, and over the last few years, um, and I have I have the the graph in front of us. I wanted I wanted Matt to take a look at this one. The amount of tabletop games that are getting um, pushed on Kickstarter and getting funded on Kickstarter is insane. They actually are like one of the number one categories for crowdfunding. Um, I think that Kickstarter tabletop games and board games actually beat out video games um, and have been for many years. So we are in this sort of platinum age where so many game designers are able to use Kickstarter to self-publish and create really, really awesome games that, uh, you know, previously the Parker brothers were only making, you know, or only mm -hmm. had the resources to make. Turns out making a tabletop board game in in this day and age is very, very tricky. Um, I was watching a GDC video a panel, um, the current and future state of board games. And one of the guys was a publisher. Um, he was a career publisher in board games. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, you would not believe customs, the cost of manufacturing. Oh, we forgot to put a 13 plus age rating on this game and now we can't sell it in these particular stores in this particular country now there's a cost associated with that like there's so many so many factors of the physical shipping of anything around the world um that it becomes extremely difficult to to get a good board game out there so anyway all that to say uh there's a lot of money being poured into the industry there's extremely popular um conventions that have been coming around there's gen con Every year, that's a very, very popular American um, tabletop board game convention. I think it may be the biggest one. Uh, and that, that sees uh, lots of a 
attendance every single year. Um, and Matt, uh, I did you get a chance to take a look at the Board Game Geek top 10 games list uh, that I put there? Have you played any of those? Let's see here. I didn't have a chance to dive into it too much. We got Gloomhaven. We got... We've, I've played Pandemic with you, haven't Pandemic's, I? Yeah, Pandemic's cool. Pandemic. I haven't played any Gloomhaven. Um, dang it. I think the only one here I've played is Pandemic. Yeah, me too. I think the, the board game geek uh board game ranking rankings um you know they're they're always changing um i think that jaws alliance relatively new so that one's kind of climbed up there some of these have been on the list for many years since they debuted um but if you look the top rated board games of all time are all within the last 10 years or so yeah yeah i really want to check out the star wars one to be honest yeah there's a star wars one there's actually a great recommendation we got from dennis uh dennis dyak uh, in our episode a couple weeks ago Uh, Cthulhu Cthulhu Wars Wars. Um, Hot Mickey is a huge board game guy and he's just got so many games that we've yet to play too with him Uh, me and Katie have been playing Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion we we put it down for a little while but that's an amazing game like amazing (laughs) Um, unbelievably like unbelievably good that game is and that's number five on this list so anyway it's it's what I've what I find really fascinating about this top 10 list is all the games that everybody grew up playing are not on here. Uh, the games that have been around for you know many many years, um, like the Ouija, the Ouija board, or you know it's not really a game, but Clue or Monopoly or Sorry, Shoots and Ladders, right? The games that like you find so so you hold so dear um, to your nostalgia are not on here, right? And it, it just goes to show that like it's game almost design... like you shouldn't factor in nostalgia when you're evaluating games. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's not let's not let's not go too far. Well there will be people to, to counter argue. There's gonna be people that have nostalgia about these games. Uh, that's not really a counter argument. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> the uh the number of games published year over year uh seems to be growing. Uh, I got I got some data on that as well. Um whereas you know, throughout basically the entire, uh, since we have the data available since 1944, all the way to 2000, we saw no more than a thousand games being published, um, maximum 900 games being published every year. And, you know, that's all the way up to 1999. So that includes some classics like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Pathfinder. Uh, I'm not sure if Magic the Gathering or any other card games are included in that list, but certainly Pokemon. Um, Mm -hmm. Other tabletop versions of Pokemon would be on that list. Not even coming close to the amount of games that we have coming out year over year now, um, which is over the 1,000 mark, um, absolutely above the 2,000 mark since 2004, above the 3,000 mark since 2014. So huge, huge amount of games being published every year, including expansions. And it's just wildly, wildly popular these days. And I think... It goes all the way back to to the beginning of humans playing playing board games, which is the communal aspect has it, there's something ancient in it, I believe. And I think that when people sit down and they play a board game together and really get into it, learn the rules and and compete in it, it's so it, it does feel ancient. I mean, I know it sounds corny, but it it's like really magical when you're throwing dice with your friends and just playing something on a tabletop communally. Uh, and that's that's what I really love about them. I think that's what's always kind of kept me coming back and what's kept them really popular these days is people have really rediscovered that magic that's been ingrained in us for so long. 
And we're just going to continue to see these games kind of come forth. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be better to do things in person, right? Versus over the computer or anything like that. I mean, we even played a bit with our friends, you know, the tabletop simulator, which is great for sure. Like that's a very, you know, that's an awesome thing, especially during peak COVID where, you know, you weren't really able to see any of your friends. So having things like that is important, but nothing just beats the intimacy of just drinking and playing some board games with your friends. Totally. And even like we, we did some tabletop board game on steam for a little while. And then I remember when we played one night werewolf, um, in like October, or November or something like that here in LA in person with a group of people. It was like amazing. It was just like yelling yeah, and like yeah. so much debate and like it was just it was so fun. And not to say that the digital version with our friends wasn't fun, but you know, nothing really does beat beat playing board games with friends and even my me and my parents and and my sister when we were like kind of potting during uh, the lockdown with the pandemic in early 2020, um we would play Settlers of Catan in person. Um, it was like one of the few enjoyments that we'd get out um, during the pandemic. And I, I think it was just really, really great. Um, now, Matt, I got a board game pitch for you. All right. Okay, you ready for this? All right. This is a bonus. Okay, I, I, a just bonus. Hope no one's, I just hope no one steals it. Yeah. <laughs> now, definitely, for those of you out there listening, if you like board games, let us know. What's your favorite board game? We would love to hear about it. If you got a board game pitch, we will not steal it. We want to hear all about it. We want you to make it. We want you to test it with us. Um, what I find interesting about board games, uh, just as a quick aside, is you can the, the bar to entry for board games is lower than video games. So if yeah. you're an aspiring game designer, you can write all your board game out on paper and just play it with your friends and see how they like it. Right, you don't have to go to an engine. You don't have to learn any coding. You don't have to. You just have to make rules um, and see how it flows. And that's exactly what I did when I created my brand new game, Mana Chess. Okay. All right, Matt. And also, and to all the listeners out there, got a brand new board game for you. Okay, <laughs> fifteen hundred years in the making. It is a brand new way to play chess. Okay, it's basically chess with spells and consumables. Okay, you're smiling. You with me so far? I'm just blown away already. Okay, so in Lucas's new uh, board game, you're playing chess, but you are dealt six cards at the beginning. Okay, so me and Matt, you're playing. We're playing against each other. You're given six cards. I'm giving six cards. Each card, course, is is played in order. Okay, card number one, two, three, all the way to six. And each card corresponds to a piece on the board corresponding to the power level of that piece as well. Okay, so card number one will be played first and it will be associated with the pawn. Card number two will be played second and it will be associated with the knight, then the bishop, then the rook, then the queen, then the king. Then we reset back to our next six cards. Okay, so each of us is going to get a turn playing the card. The card is going to alter how we use that piece, and we're going to keep playing and go through it. Okay, so once we hit the end, once we hit the last card, that is the end of what we call the cycle, we reset, shuffle, and then draw the next six cards and then play them in order. Okay, uh, so for instance, you go first, you are white, you play the card, let's say, double trouble, which allows you to move two pawns on your very first turn. Oh. So you get two openings, okay? Then I play Spirited Sprint, 
the card that lets me move three spaces with my first pawn. Okay, so we've asymmetrically used our abilities. They're both related to the pawn. You got to move two pawns, but I got to move one pawn a little bit extra. So I might have more board presence now. Okay, the next card is going to respond to the knight piece. You might play a card called, well, I don't have a name for this card yet, but you just get to move your knight piece twice. So he gets a double <laughs> jump. <laughs> so you get a double jump knight piece. Okay, so now your knight piece is in a crazy good position at the very, very start of the game. And I play a card called knight soul transfer where I can choose another card and it can move like a knight in addition to the way it oh. already moves. So now my bishop can jump and move diagonally. Okay, so we've kind of made chess a little bit more interesting, added a few more random elements that we have to adjust. It also very much speeds up the game of chess. So this game yeah. may end after one full cycle of the game, which is a six turns for me, six turns for you. Because the last card we'll each play, the sixth card, is going to be the king. So in mana chess, your king is actually your best piece because it is basically your ultimate ability. You're going to play this at the very end of your cycle, and the king will have crazy good moves. Like the king will blow up everything in a full XY position in a grid, <laughs> right? So let's say you have that card. That sixth card is that ability for the king. You're now going to move your pieces to move your king into a position to blow up as many pieces as possible. So now your whole strategy revolves around your ultimate, which is your king's ultimate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you might get a king ultimate that is uh, move the enemy king one space. So you can basically checkmate with that sort of mind control king move. You might get an ultimate that is uh, your king resurrects a piece and puts it in the back row because your king's like a holy king, right? He can resurrect a piece. Uh, you might get a queen move that lets her bash through the first piece that she hits. You might get a bishop card that lets him jump over a friendly piece. Or you might get a pawn card that lets you move the, the pawn backwards, for instance. So we're adding a lot more depth and movement to the game, making it random somewhat, but making it way faster, way more fun. The game needs to be reinvented, Matt. Well, I'll tell you what, Lucas. You need to find <laughs> who, who, you need to find whoever currently owns chess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the developer of chess. I need you to find, find the developer of chess. You come to him with a business idea, with an expansion idea, and I think they're going to be on. I think they might be into it. Yeah, I, I'm tempted to just make the cards like digitally and shuffle them, so we can just play chess and just like do some of this weird stuff. I, don't know. I, I was like um, writing out the premise and I was like, this is a board game. This is a good board game. I'd fuck with it. I, um, yeah, I wonder who the fuck has like any IP rights to chess. <laughs> I don't think any, that'd be like How having the rights to like poker or like dominoes, right? It's true. Like, yeah. Well, so, mm, yeah, that's true. Dang. What a time to be live. Okay. Business idea. Copyright chess. We're gonna copyright chess. We, we just we file a pat at the patent office chess. We say it's a, a game we invented. Dude, just imagine like you file it, they'd be like, Oh no, oh all right. They're like, yeah. he's not he's wrong, but I can't prove it. <laughs> so I guess he's right. No one no one else has thought to, oh, all right. Thanks for playing is now chess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just now yeah. 
Damn, I wonder how that works. Like, I have no idea. I'm sure somebody has tried. Uh, I would love to see that skit for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, I just wanted to give the p good people out there um, a fun idea of what we can do with board games, how easily they can kind of come together um, and evolve over time. Perhaps, you know, maybe this is the next iteration of chess, the famous board game that's been around for 1500 years. Maybe this is how they'll be playing it in 200 years. We never know. Um, no. But point being, you know, human beings have been playing games for a very, very long time um, before the written word, before we really, you know, so long that we don't even really know how some games were played. There's so many I didn't even mention, like uh, Egyptian game of Senate or Mehen. Um, there's so many really interesting um you know, supplementing so much awesome supplementary material everybody could look up. If you just go on YouTube and look up history of board games, I'm certainly going to link that one from Irving Finkel, um, where they're playing the Royal, the Royal game of Ur, which I thought was one of the most interesting games I've ever seen. Um, even though it is like four, 4,500 years old. So yeah, um, really, really interesting stuff there. And thanks for hearing out my uh, board game pitch, Matt. Hopefully it gets published pretty soon. Yeah, this was a fun one. Yeah, board games are really incredible. I mean, there's so many good ones out there right now and just so many fun ones to play. So uh, everyone, if you haven't played a board game in a while, I highly recommend you get your group of friends and you definitely check it out. And, you know, as well, if there's any aspiring game developers, uh, if you listen to our interview with Dennis Dyack, if you listen to that episode, Dennis says so himself. You know, if you want to, uh, if you want to, you know, even if you want to work at Deadhouse Sonata, even he said, you know, study up on board games first, understand the intricacies of board games, because that will only better help and assist you as you're beginning your quest to become a game developer. So that's right. That's right. And they recommend it. Uh, all right, everyone. I think that's all we got today. Lucas, thanks for, I know you took the lead on this one. Thanks for putting this together. This was a fun one and very relevant to, well, both of our lives, I know, play a lot of board games and hopefully a lot of other people as well. So everyone, uh, as always, you can find us online at CFP Podcast. That's CFP Podcast with an S at the end. Uh, you can also find our website, thanksforplaying.live, and the link tree in those social handles, and as well on our website, you can find the link to join our Discord coming out. It's a good time to talk about all things gaming news, Steam Deck, and it's a very accessible way to get in touch with Lucas and I. Uh, as well, we also, you can find your good buddy Matt on Twitter at Good Idea Matthew. Lucas, where can we find you? That's right. You could find me online at uh, Good Idea Lucas on Instagram, and you can find me uh, on Discord. Feel free to shout. You know, shout out to me. Shoot me a DM. Talk to me about board games, video games, um, Elden Ring, Steam Deck, Magic the Gathering. Really, anything having to do <laughs> with games at all. Um, or maybe you just want to talk about how cool that Dennis Dyack interview was, because um, we really, really love that one. And um, as always, thank you for listening. Yes, love it. All right, everyone, that's what we got today. And remember, anything's possible. Thanks for playing as a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Royal Call Bunch and Red Circle 